Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. I have a friend of mine who is going to see a movie. <laughs> it's a movie I'd already seen. And with that, the friend of mine said, well, what do you think about the movie? And there'd been some reviews already out, somewhat mixed. I think overall most people liked it. However, I didn't find it maybe as enjoyable or as great as some had. <laughs> as the critic might say, uh, gave it either a rotten tomato or not. Uh, never rotten tomatoes or thumbs up or whatever it is. But my friend said, hey, what about it? And I said, ah, nah, nah, nah. I really didn't like it. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. So I didn't catch up with this friend for maybe a few days, maybe a couple weeks, and we're talking, and then out of the blue, he said, you know, you were wrong. And I said, well, what was I wrong about? That's not the first time. What was I wrong about? He said, that movie. It wasn't as bad or horrible as you said it was going to be. I kind of enjoyed it. And I said, well, I didn't say it was horrible. I said, I just didn't like it. He had taken what I'd said, though, and basically anticipated, expected to be awful, and was therein pleasantly surprised. <laughs> it was not as bad <laughs> as he thought I had, uh, again, judged it to be. Um, my critique of it. Psychology Today, June of 2022. It's not all bad. Teaching children that the world is good may lead to better outcomes. For generations, my family has taught kids a line to prepare them for the real world. Life's a S-H-I-T sandwich. And you just took your first bite. It turns out this parenting strategy is widespread, my research, recent research finds. But it may not have the protective effort or effect parents hope for. My research team asked parents what basic world beliefs, known as primals, they thought were best for their kids. We found that as many as 53% aim to teach their kids that the world is, in different ways, a bad place. Barren, unfair, dangerous, cutthroat, and getting worse. What's more, most parents, up to 94%, sought to avoid and stealing a very positive primals. We speculated that parents teach negative primals because they worry that seeing the world as good will leave their children vulnerable or set them up for disappointment. Yet across six samples comprising 4,535 people and 48 professions, we found that people with negative world beliefs were worse off. On average, they had poorer health, more depression, more suicide attempts, less life satisfaction, and significantly less well-being, all while disliking their jobs more and performing worse at them compared to peers. There was no upside to moderate beliefs either. Those who saw the world as slightly good were worse off than those who saw it as very good. These findings are correlational. But other research suggests that having a hard life doesn't cause most people to see the world as bad. 
That suggests that either primals are causing these outcomes or there's a third variable involved. Yet the data strongly suggests that a kid who grows up to see the world as a dangerous place is likely to be worse off compared to peers. I'm sure my ancestors meant well, but I think I'll be teaching my daughter something different. Jer Clifton, PhD. Again, it's not all bad teaching children that the world is good may lead to better outcomes. Psychology Today, June of 2022. So there's this phenomenon in psychology where we're telescoping or we're uh, in some ways predicting. Uh, we've got a mindset, we've got a thought in mind, we've got a, an analysis, a conclusion drawn from our analysis as to uh, what the future might be in a forecasting sort of way, telescoping, forecasting. And what we end up doing then, amazingly so, is actually getting what we otherwise think as much as would be waiting to see what actually happens and then basing our appraisal, our critique, so to speak, of the movie on what the real experience is, uh, we go ahead and project it so much into the future, forecast it so much that we actually get what we think, get what we believe will actually happen. Or maybe it's just a neutral proposition and then looking at all the bad sides of it, we still are somewhat in a satisfactory way, sort of bizarrely so, quite satisfied that, well, yeah, there's some good things, but in the end, it still turned out bad. Now, when I told my friend about the movie, I didn't necessarily expect him to have a bad experience of the movie. I didn't even know he was going to go to the movie, but it took it to heart, maybe a little bit too seriously, and in that, maybe he was doing a bit of his own forecasting there, telescoping as to what he thought was going to happen, because he went there with the expectation it was going to be awful. But fortunately, fortunately, his lens, <laughs> the way he judged it, was at least pure enough that, or I wasn't influential enough, I didn't have enough cred to alter the overall outcome for him. He still saw more good than bad in the situation. It turned out okay, and he was gonna come back and tell me about it, and he should. And I have to be in the position I'm in very careful because those are all personal variables. And though he was not a patient of mine and we weren't in a clinical situation or circumstance, who needs a counselor, a psychological counselor that has already come to some sort of conclusion in a negative sort of way that the world is, what did the author put it? Life's an S-H-I-T sandwich and you just took your first bite. Now, I know that most professionals are not gonna say that. Uh, and even if they should say that, they're going to package it a little differently. But the messaging is the same. And with that, there's a bunch of reverberation, amplification of that negativity. There's plenty of sources and outlets for that, whether it's the news cycle, the news media, friends, neighbors. Uh, it could be cultural. It could be <laughs> geographical. It could be national. You know, our, our identity as a group of people. Uh, we could be all catastrophizing. 
And certainly there's much to be said, won't do it on this podcast any more than is minimally necessary, and that may be it, what I've just got through saying. We seem to live in a, a world that sees things negatively. Now, of course, this brings up thoughts of something half full, half empty, and usually it's a glass. And there's much to be said for optimists and pessimists. And then there are those who kind of point out that they're a realist. Well, according to the article, pessimists and realists really don't have any better, research seems to suggest, outcomes long term. They're about the same. So whether you see it negatively or you just want to claim that you see it realistically, if you're seeing it within the light of the negative, <laughs> you may, can, can't extrapolate too much from the data, but we could say, well, maybe you've telescoped it, forecasted such, or looking so much for the bad as a template, part of your personality, the way you've been taught to look at life, that you're expecting bad things, and guess what? You're getting them. Kind of goes with that whole notion of karma, doesn't it? But I don't know if that's actually the case either. Uh, and this is all speculational theory. I would be inclined to say that all three are probably guilty of the same. But it may be that somewhere in the middle of the process, if not maybe toward the early parts of the process of actually analysis and critique of an experience, not necessarily a movie, could be a dinner out, could be just a moment in your life, could be a random situation or circumstance. We should look critically at it and probably will within some lens of negativity. Oh, well, that wasn't what I expected or maybe I was expecting something a little bit better. If not, oh, this is horrible, it's terrible. And possibly that is the base human response to most things that don't turn out well. Uh, that create either physical or psychological pain. And I suppose there are people who maybe get more than their fair share of those bad experiences. Uh, I don't know if it's anybody's fault. It just is the way it is. And, you know, at some point we all have to be careful not to get so caught up in the way it is that we forget that we are actually given great liberty. We have a choice. Uh, how we want to address those things, how we want to look at those things that happen to us and how we want to in addressing them, what choices we want to make so hopefully it won't turn out the same the next go around. But that may actually be the difference. Those people who tend to be a bit more optimistic, the people who don't already pronounce everything <laughs> S-H-I-T sandwich, are individuals who are willing to go a little bit beyond and engage in a bit more work to do a healthy analysis. Which is exactly why people come see me. They've either gotten caught in a rut of negativism, pessimism, and uh, are having a hard time breaking it, or something very difficult has happened, troubling, kind of hurtful, harmful, psychologically, physically, uh, outside of the realm of expectation, uh, discouraging, depressing, all those words, adjectives that could describe it. And they're having a hard time seeing something good in it. But whether you come see me or you don't come see me or somebody like me, 
it is really important to do the extra work of taking that and somehow moving outside of the realm of the subjective, the emotional, that territory of emotional thinking, and applying some logic and reasoning, applying some objectivity so that you don't stay there. It's kind of like complicated bereavement. You can get stuck along the way, and if you never really work through or get to the stages of working through seeing it for what it is, but also learning from it, applying all these sort of best-ordered ways of thinking, uh, learning from it, and then with that, removing some of that negativity, or at least whatever might be the primary fear is going to be emotions of anger. The primary emotions are going to be that of fear and anger. Taking that off of it long enough to be able to look at it for what it is and say, well, it happened. Hopefully it doesn't again. Maybe I can learn from it so it doesn't again. And then moving on, which would leave you not necessarily with some naivete or some overly dramatized optimism where you're not seeing anything of the negative, because that could be equally dangerous. But you're getting a balanced and a full approach. Uh, but nonetheless, that is work. I want to remind you, our listeners, you're listening to Word with Dave Clay. So are we lazy? <laughs> do we not want to do the work? Maybe. Uh, are we scared and afraid, which is a bit more of a justification? I think probably. Uh, can it be for ignorance? <laughs> Lack of really an awareness that there is maybe a different way of looking at things. Socialization... Uh, the way that we learn what we learn about life as we grew up in the family, our ancestry, as the article, I think, described it, author described it in the article, uh, they can say a lot. Their biases can become yours. Uh, say a lot about how we look at life and their biases can become yours. And should there not be some moment where somebody says, hey, wait a minute, that's not how we grew up. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't you kind of missing some of the data? Or wait a minute, you're looking at the facts, but you're prejudiced. You're biased. Uh, you're looking at that in, in a subjective way that's expecting to find something rather than looking at it as objectively, as empirically, as scientifically. Highest order of reasoning, reasoning and logic available, and then letting the real facts of the data point out what is the best outcome, result, in the way of, of leaving the circumstance uh, as it might affect the way you look at life, as a way it might look at or result in how you uh, feel emotionally about situations and circumstances. Phobias are all predicated upon not doing that work. Complicated bereavement is the same thing. You don't work through it enough to get to closure, and so it stacks. One loss upon the next, upon the next, and before you know it, you've got a backlog, so to speak, of emotional processing. And with that cognitive processing, emotional processing to be completed through the additional working through to the place of closure, as with the stages of grief, going from the trauma 
to some element of shock or denial, to anger and fear, to acceptance at least of the factuality, to problem solving, sorting it out, decision making, making sense or at least trying to come up with how all that fits into your life story, who you are, who you want to be, so that you leave that in the best of terms. Maybe it's a neutral proposition, but I don't know. When you do all that work, when you put the emotional energy into it, and presuming that you've been taught to do that or you have a family system that isn't scared or afraid or avoidant of doing that work, maybe those that even though your temperament may be even somewhat genetically personality being somewhat, maybe the potential if not likelihood of it being somewhat genetically encoded, they've encouraged you. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Not in an aggressive way or a way that pushes you too hard, but is always constantly nudging you in the right direction. Face it, address it, deal with it. Don't let it backlog. Learn from it. Because if there is anything positive that maybe this article represents, especially something as this article speaks to kids, we want to teach your kids how to address life, whatever it is, and feel good about it. Have some sense of mastery of not life. You can't master the circumstances of your life, but you can master your skill set in knowing what you do have control over and what you don't and how to make that reconciliation between the two to the point of acceptance and closure. You can learn how to address loss and all those things that go along with it so that you begin to feel more confident. That's what mastery is. It's a skill set. It's an attitude. It's not simply positivity. Oh, it's all going to work out. You know those folks. They really don't put much work into it. And yeah, that works somewhat, maybe a little bit better than the negative, but they're usually not more masterful and their self-esteem may not be really all that somebody who does go through the work of that, that experiences. And, and seriously, that, that's where validation comes from. Denial renders you sort of away from or disconnected from the actualities, that perception of the reality of a loss. But validation, maybe even edification, comes from being in it. It needs to be emotionally validated as much as it needs to be cognitively registered as a reality. But the one thing that neither the circumstance situation or anyone else can give you except an opportunity to find this validation, to incorporate this as a child would hopefully into their personality so it becomes characteristic, the virtue that they take with them into adulthood, what they really get the most from growing up, is they get to learn all this stuff while they're still at home, while there's still a bit of a protective covering. Learn it now. Learn how to do it now, because one day you may not have the family there in that way, or there may be a place that you get to where you're not going to have the social supports, or it's going to be you. Maybe nobody else there really in that way being able to help you. You don't want to learn it. 
when you're thrown into the deep end, how to swim, that is. You want to learn that before you get into the deep end. Do it in somewhat shallow water, but move toward the deep end as if you would have to choose to do it. Life does tend to move you that way. Not because life is bad or that the things of life are bad or that there's some ill will or mean intention to it. It's just life. (laughs) There's going to be loss. There's going to be pain. There's going to be things that aren't going to work out. There's going to be tragedies, uh, opportunity, luck, (laughs) both good and bad luck. You just have to work through them. And with that, maybe in the end, you don't get, as they used to say, the brass ring, or you don't punch the ticket in that sort of way that you'd always hoped. But you can always feel good about yourself. And in that way, self-esteem really shouldn't be contingent upon any situation or circumstance or anybody else's appraisal, what they think, their critique, their judgment. You get to write the script. You get to direct the movie. You get to cast it. (laughs) You get to determine what it looks like. And uh, you're the only one that really knows the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it and what it's worth or its value. But even then, you can't judge it too much by outcome alone. You have to judge it by such things as heart and soul, courage, higher-ordered aspirations, a willingness to face things that are difficult, to find the courage. People come see me. Oftentimes, that's what's happened. They've become discouraged. They've lost that confidence. They don't have that courage, that strength to face it. Or maybe they don't have the support system that really is ideal for facing that. And because I'm not going to tell them it's a bad movie or it's an SHIT sandwich, I'm going to be as objective as possible. And even if I've had a hang-up, maybe I've gotten hung up, on something that they're having a hang-up with, unless it is just so obviously, so patently, to my lack then of ability to see it clearly, uh, I may disclose that in some honest way so they can be sure that there's no conflict of interest or no secondary gain or something going on me in me that corrupts then my giving them what's best for them as far as reflecting and sharing answers or forming answers with them. But as long as I know where that is and I don't let that or allow that to corrupt the process, then I can help them. I am objectivity, or at least I should be. I am, in some ways, empiricism. I am the experience of counseling, psychological counseling, and me being there with them. I am the opportunity to theorize, to hypothesize, to, to understand and help them formulate the, the narratives, the realities of all the facts of their life. And I am the one to look at them and say, you know, I think you've done a good job. I don't say that just to make them feel good. I say that because I've been there with them when they've gone through it. And right, it's not so personal with me that it is a burden for me to do it. But it is personal enough and it's given in such a personal dimension that it means something to them. There's a tangible bit of credibility. Again, that kind of goes with that. So when your friend comes along and says, well, did you see the latest whatever movie? And you say, yeah, I did, but I was kind of disappointed. Well, hopefully they're more objective or they understand that that's just an opinion and uh, go out and take it 
in for themselves and test that for themselves. But, you know, I can offer opinions, but if I do, should it ever come to that point? Yeah, I need to disclose that. But really, I do everything I can <laughs> in my power to not offer opinions. I want you to come up with the opinions. I just want to offer facts. And if I present the facts in an encouraging way, or, or if I add to it the dimension of, you got this, that's not because I'm lying to you. I don't say that to everyone, although probably I say that to everyone. But it's not just a generic sort of, oh, you got this. Everything's going to work out. No, it's because we went through it. Uh, we've shared a bit in the blood, sweat, and tears. There's been somebody that's been able to be of some direct assistance, not only in terms of kind of comforting you while you're going through those emotions, but also assisting you to understand where to find knowledge and understanding, where to, to access wisdom, the kind of stuff that is of intuition, the kind of stuff that comes from trust in your gut, your heart, that inner voice, but the kind of stuff, too, that you have to learn how to lay aside or set aside all of the reactive dimensions of emotional thinking so that you can get there. Again, the article, Psychology Today, June of 2022, it's not all bad. Teaching children that the world is good may lead to better outcomes by Jur Clifton, PhD. I agree, but it's not simply just optimism. It is optimism based on this edification, this validation. It's optimism based on a learned skill set. It's me pointing out, you've learned to do the hard work. You know how to do it. You can do it for yourself maybe a bit better, although I think we all at times need somebody else. But in that same way, you can share it with others, which is precisely the reason for the podcast. <laughs> I want to share this with you. Uh, and with that, I want to invite you back to the next edition of Word with Dave Clay. And in the meantime, good health. And as always, I sincerely mean it. I wish you really, really, really good mental health.